0: Welcome to Ask the Chief Information Officer on Federal News Network. Now your host, Jason Miller.
1: My guest today is Ryan Cody, the Transportation Department's Chief Information Officer. Ryan, welcome back to the program.
0: Thank you, Jason. Great to be here.
1: As transportation and really every agency prepared for the pandemic, for the surge of people, of employees having to remotely to telework, you guys were in a really in, in many ways an unenviable position of having really to make some changes very quickly. Let's start at the beginning. Where were you as this pandemic really started to ramp up and you saw the the tea leaves, if you will, that said, we will uh, need to have a whole lot of people doing a whole lot of teleworking. What, what was your situation? We started looking at this in late January, mid
0: February. We started to take notice of it and really began in earnest kind of around late February and did a did a preliminary assessment of our situation and found out that we were probably at about 40% capable of supporting a, a complete remote uh, workforce, and that excludes the FAA. Right, all, all of this conversation we'll sort of put the FAA in a, in a different bucket, but these these are the other uh, transportation modes. So think you know highways and rail and transit and MITS and FIMS and the rest. So we we thought that. Uh, if we had to at that time, late February, we could support about 40% of the folks working from home. So we started to have the conversation, what would it take to get us to a hundred percent in the event that we might have to send everyone home, might have a, you know, 100% telework order come out. And our environment, fortunately for us had very recently undergone a move to centralization, shared services, right? So after, uh, secretary chow was appointed as uh, the leader of, uh, of transportation you know she came in and saw the the nine modes of transportation as very siloed and everyone had their own i.t and their own networks and 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 so for a variety of reasons she began us on this journey towards shared services which you know turned out to be exactly the right thing we needed to do so even prior to my arrival and then ongoing after i got there we had moved all of DOT onto a centralized network and and had really just finished that initiative when this hit us. So we were we were fortunate in that we knew our user base. We knew our, our network infrastructure pretty well. We knew our current capacity with, with a limited VDI infrastructure and a VPN infrastructure of what we could support. And so we knew pretty quickly what it would take to get us to 100%. And, and that was primarily increasing our bandwidth, first of all, on our primary MTIPs connections just to be able to cover the, the increased usage we knew we'd have in the overhead as it relates to the circuits, increasing the number of VPN licenses simply on our VPN connectors so we could support a lot more connections and then looking at strengthening our VDI infrastructure also and increasing licenses there. So within a week or so had a plan. Uh, by, by the end of February we had a plan to take us from 40% to 100% would require this and it's X number of licenses. Uh, a couple new ASA firewalls and, and devices to accommodate the extra load, extra circuit bandwidth. We'd upgrade this from this to that and we had a preliminary cost and, and sort of had it in place end of February 1st of March. So we had the plan and we were all just sort of watching and waiting and and, and in in sort of the back, right behind the scenes, we're also having conversations with folks in budget and acquisitions and different pieces in the department to say, if we had to, how quickly could we execute that? So again, fortunately for us, really fortunate across the department of transportation, we had, we had a centralized network, right? We had a, a shared services initiative that had just successfully collapsed the network into one. Everyone was able to connect onto one network. When this hit us um, early March, we kind of saw it coming. We executed on that plan. And we, and we got word from budget, Hey, we'll get you the money, call your vendors, put, place the orders for the licenses, place the order for the circuit upgrades, place the order for the hardware and start moving in that direction. So we executed on it. And unfortunately, within a week or so after we said, go, we had all of that in place and we went from 40% capable to a hundred percent capable in a very short amount of time with, Again, a lot of great cooperation internally amongst the DOT folks and then externally as well with our vendor partners.
1: Right. So there's a couple things to dig out of there. Let me let me back up because I definitely want to touch go into more details about that that quick turnaround. But before I do that, let's talk about the centralized network previously. And we've had this conversation last time you were on the show. Remind me, uh, you had how many networks previously that you collapsed really into, into one centralized network? And walk me through what that really meant from an a infrastructure perspective.
0: So we had essentially eight separate networks. And this is all, you know, each mode would, would have had their own network. And um, so again, highways operating independently and, and transit operating independently. And, and of course, a variety of hardware, as you can imagine, across those eight networks over the years of, of building and acquiring. We had slightly over 4,000 network devices spread out across hundreds of locations across the U.S. And in a matter of about 18 months, we took that network from eight into one from over 4,000 devices down to under 1500 and then more importantly of course we standardized it all on one vendor so we knew what we had in terms of hardware we got everything patched and up to a level of readiness and security we found acceptable and just reduced the, the the support of that tremendously as you can imagine we had all these folks supporting all these different networks different hardware and everyone doing our thing, we were able to take that in, in one direction with a particular solution. And then bringing all the circuits together, of course, was also key to that. Uh, just eliminating uh, hundreds and hundreds of circuits that we didn't need, consolidating into uh, an end solution and then uh, an MPLS cloud, which allowed us to have this visibility and manageability of the network that that allowed us to be quick and agile when it came to working on the network.
1: So in many ways this effort to get more people to telework whether it was done because you knew the pandemic was coming or just because it was the handwriting on the wall with too many networks, too many devices, too much complexity, too hard to manage, getting from 40% to 100% was only possible because of all that work you had done over the last 18 months. If you had been in the same situation where you had eight networks and four thousand devices, upgrading and changing probably would have been nearly impossible.
0: Yes. I shudder to think what the the nights and days would have been like had we tried to execute this on those networks and those devices. It it would have been just tremendously difficult, honestly. I I don't I don't know that I could say we, we could have done it, frankly. Uh, you know, we would have had Some do better than others, of course, based on the age of their networks and the the complexity of their networks or not. But I can't overstate how fortunate we were that we had gotten to this point when we did. It was just brilliant strategy and planning on the part of people before me that were at at DOT who got us to that place that when we needed to, we were able to execute. Again, I don't even want to think about how we would have tried to do that um, in the old network
1: at what point did you decide to really pull that trigger to get you from 40% to 100% was it that first kind of memo from OMB who said hey maximize telework was it something else that happened that really kind of lit the fire
0: i think it was a combination of the communications coming from the white house the communications coming from omb and then certainly our own leadership at at, at transportation starting with the secretary you know she i remember in a meeting in late February asked the question of where we're at and how do we get to hundred percent. And so that was again, late February, early March. And so I took it back to my team and the IT leaders at transportation and said, let's just plan a theoretical exercise, right? Let's let's like we're wargaming here at the DOD or, or we're planning for something. Let's pretend we had to send everyone home tomorrow. What would that look like? And, and it was pretty easy, pretty quick. The folks around the table knew the answers. They said, well, it would take 20,000 more VPN licenses. It would take 10,000 more VDI licenses, or it would take another you know, firewall here. It would take X bandwidth here on these circuits. So they knew the answers to the questions, which was fantastic. A testament to my team of folks who manage this every day. They knew what the, the answers were. So I said, okay, that's great. Let's put that in writing. Let's put it on a piece of paper, make a plan, 100% telework readiness plan. So we took that, and we had that literally in less than a day. We, we, we could figure that out. And then, again, I took that back to senior leadership, took it to the secretary, took it to budget, took it to folks who would have to pay for this, took it to the acquisitions folks, and said, okay, this is theoretically what it would take. And it was a matter of days, uh, really the first week of March, in a matter of days, people who looked at the plan and read it realized we need to get, we need to get there. So they said, okay, uh, here's your money. We'll, we'll have the money ready when you need it. You go execute the plan. So we, we literally took that imprimatur, if you will, took that stamp of approval verbally initially and in, a, in, a, in an email sort of stuff and said, okay, let's go. So we took it to the acquisition folks and said, we have approval to purchase purchase these licenses, purchase this firewall equipment, reach out to our MTIPS provider and, and increase our circuit bandwidth from X to Y. Go go go! And those folks said, "Okay, great, thank you. We'll we'll take it, right?" And, and so they took it and started to work it through the normal processes of acquisition and purchasing and 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 different things. And and that's when I sort of could sense that there were two different priorities there. There was a group that that saw it, wanted it, needed it, said execute it, and then the group that were executing it hadn't yet heard from the leadership the sense of urgency of it. So I sort of stepped in the middle of that and, and communicated out to the folks in acquisitions and, and procurement and other things and said, this is not a routine acquisition, right? This is not a normal purchase where it works its way through the, the channels and the processes and the bowels of the bureaucracy. We need to expedite this in a way we've never expedited it before. Which is again why, really, in a matter of about five days, we went from zero to 100, or 40 to 100, uh, because people picked up the phone and, and circumvented the normal channels, and they called a contracting officer, or they called a procurement person, or they called a vendor, and then said to the vendor, "I need you to personally, you know, own this. I I need license keys emailed back to me in my inbox by this afternoon. Is that possible? Okay." If not, why? Or if yes, thank you. Right. So um, it was really actually fun to see how government could be pushed a little bit and made to execute in such a timely fashion. And, and it was very encouraging to our team to see that, you know, when chips are down and backs up against the wall and it's, it's go time. And we were asked to execute. We executed fantastically. So that was really kind of cool.
1: I think that's the best part of the story is that there was an urgency and in, in, instead of the bureaucracy and, and I'll be honest, I kind of hate that word, but we'll use it because I think it, it, it works here. Didn't stand in the way and didn't put up stop signs and didn't say, well, you know, you know, Ryan, this is not the way we normally do it. And we really need to go through this or that there, there was that sense of urgency. And I think that's in many ways, it's, it's a great innovation Ryan, on that note. Let's take a quick break. My guest today is Ryan Cody, the Transportation Department's Chief Information Officer. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is Ryan Cody, the Transportation Department's CIO. You you mentioned some numbers, 20,000 more VPN licenses, 10,000 more VDI licenses, extra bandwidth. Walk me through what that meant to you guys and and it's one thing to get a license, but then you have to make sure those licenses work. And what were some of those other things that had to get done beyond the acquisition? And how quickly did that get turned around so, so those licenses were ready to go, so that bandwidth was turned on? Can you explain a little bit more?
0: As you know, you know again, there's a lot of processes that, that are in government and and within IT, and and rightly so notwithstanding, sometimes the most important one is a change management process, right? So we're very careful when we make changes in IT, particularly to the network and to connectivity. It's the lifeblood of what we provide for for our customers is connectivity to everything. So we are normally very cautious about making the changes. But in this case, again, we knew the situation was was different. It, 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 everyone could sense that this was something we'd never experienced before. We needed to act with courage, and we needed to act with speed, and we needed to act with confidence. So uh, it was truly a, a great partnership between our own internal uh, network engineers and then the external vendor engineers, and and just you know getting everyone at the at the table urgently, right? So again, normally these things would just take time. There's a process. I right? reach out to a vendor, I, I request an upgrade, they open a ticket, they put in a work order. You know, these things normally take weeks, sometimes months to execute. And and I, I just began to communicate to everyone as best I could that this just could not be handled normally. And so we reached out in particular to our, to our circuit providers and we had primarily been been operating with about a two gig circuit, supporting most of the network, which was, which was sufficient back in the, the pre-COVID, you know, days. Um, it could handle most of our traffic. And we had some other backup circuits and could burst if we needed to. But we thought we needed to take that bandwidth at least triple, if not more. And so we, we brought the vendor in and, and we got our own engineers and we just all huddled together in one meeting and said, okay, this is normally what we would do to accomplish this, but how can we do it tonight, right? Or tomorrow night, or tell me when we can do this. What does it take? In some cases, in particular network, you're talking about physical upgrades or appliances and hardware, but in some cases you're not. You're just talking about keystrokes and going into a system and increasing bandwidth or, or changing a circuit or rebooting a device, things like that. And so it truly was a success of, Just getting the vendors to listen to to our need and our urgency, and then getting our own engineers to come to the table and say, okay, this is our environment. This is what we're going to execute. And then having all of the the equities at the table, right? It's also the change management folks. It's also the cyber folks who obviously have a huge stake in, in this. And everyone who needs to be there, who would normally be a checkbox along the process as this... You know order or paper winds its way through the bowels of the bureaucracy all it really takes is bringing them all to the same table to the same meeting or to the same call and everyone having a voice everyone having a vote everyone saying can we do this yes or no and and so i think that's uh, hopefully you know one of the key roles uh, of myself as leader is not to do any of this stuff, right? Because I've got all the experts who do this and I've got great vendor partners who do it and I've got a fantastic team of folks who do it. My job is to is to facilitate that, to bring the right people into the room to make the best decisions and execute as quickly as possible. And and again, it, it helps to, to just get personally involved and get personally invested. I you know, like you know, I came from private sector not that long ago, it's only been less than a year and a half. So, so I still have a lot of great connections in my network and people I can reach out to. And, and I could reach out to some very high level folks in these private sector companies and, and just ask them, you know, personally, hey, as a favor, can, can you look at this order we've put in and can you do anything to expedite it? I would appreciate it, you know, as a colleague, if, if you could uh, send an engineer to this meeting instead of putting me off for a week, you know, so there were some of those phone calls that were made to friends and, and colleagues, and I will, I will say, you know, to a person, they all, they all stepped up. They all realized the unprecedented nature of the situation. They all, you know, delivered. And whether, again, it was just getting license keys or getting hardware shipped or, or getting circuits upgraded, it was, it was truly a partnership between government and private sector of something of which, you know, I'd never seen. And in one case, it actually, a great story it was a piece of hardware that was not in stock. And, and literally had to be manufactured. And I remember placing the order with the vendor and, and our team of folks tracked that device from inception to manufacturing. And it was, I think it was made in Mexico and it shipped and it shipped to Arizona and then it shipped to DC and it got to the vendor where they configured it in a matter of a couple of days. My people knew where that appliance was, you know, within a few miles of its geographic location every step of the way. And, and they had a status update ready. That's how invested they were in getting that, that piece of hardware in and getting it installed. And it was it was a fun experience, really, was it? And again, I think it, it particularly showed the art of the possible, right? When, when we have to, we don't have to be this behemoth government bureaucracy that can't act with speed. We can do it. And I hope that that bears fruit moving forward to remind folks that, Hey, we can be better. We can be agile. We can be like private sector. We can go out there and accomplish great things in a short amount of time when we move with purpose and passion and energy.
1: That's probably the best point in this entire story. And this is why I was so excited to talk to you because it shows in so many ways that the government is not this slow-moving as you said, behemoth, that just can't do things agilely. The vendor piece, I think, is also hugely important. I've heard from federal CIO Suzette Kent, among other CIOs, who've said they can't express their thanks, their gratitude, their imp- how impressed they were with how vendors reacted. And then the last piece that we have to talk, uh, I'd like just to touch upon, is the cyber side. A lot of times, the, the cyber folks are the ones who say, yes, but, or, well, let's look at this even deeper because of these risks. How'd you balance out that need for speed agility with that importance of cyber as well?
0: Yeah, that's a great question. And and one that we looked at very carefully. Again, I think it's just a matter of getting the people in the room, right? Uh, Instead of sending that email or sending out that risk acceptance form or asking for another explanation of why you want to do this, and then someone raising an objection to it. It's a matter of getting everyone in the room. And we had our chief information security officer on board every day, the deputy CISO. We had, we had a half a dozen or more CISO folks involved in this process at every, every step. So we would just say to them, look, we're going to do this. What are your objections? Or what do you see is the risk here? And what's acceptable to you? We want to do this we're going to send, you know, 15,000 people home with laptops and increase our risk surface exponentially. How would you like us to handle that? What, what do you want, right? And so them having that seat at the table and that voice is the most important thing. And they said, look, all right, we understand this is what we have to do. Here's what we'd like. We'd like uh, send out uh, informational guidelines. We'd like training. We'd like advanced um, you know, tools stood up quickly. If we can, we we want this put on all these laptops. We want restrictions put on behavior. We want uh, visibility into the into the network here, here, and here. If if you can give us these pieces, we're we're very happy to support everything. And we don't see, you know, while there's obviously an increased risk because the, just the surface attack is so greatly increased, um, it's a matter of of really leveraging the cyber folks to help us architect the solution and say, this is this is what we now need to put here, right? Yes, a VPN connection is great, and, and yes, VDI connections are great, but we still have really lost control of a lot of our risk and threats because we're sending all these devices home. They're connecting to home networks. They're probably going to start sharing information on, unwittingly on home networks and with home printers and doing different things here's the additional tool we'd like put on every laptop so let, let's let's add this little feature and that and then that's okay great we turn it over to infrastructure folks and say hey if we had to push out this little piece of software or the tool or this agent to every laptop can we do it in the next 48 hours and infrastructure folks look at it you know and they say yep we'll have a test set up by this afternoon. We'll push this out to 100 machines. We'll see how it likes it. If, it. if it works great, we'll push it out to 15,000 machines tomorrow sort of thing. So it's really about just having all the right people in the room at the table, having the conversation. Everyone has a voice. And then, you know, I'm, I'm happy to say we didn't really have to risk accept anything in this process. We, we didn't say, okay, we're just going to live with this risk. We looked at every risk and said, yep, that's gonna be different than what we've ever done before, but here's how we think we'll mitigate that risk. And we pushed out that tool. Or people asked, can we do this? And, and you know, we said, no, we're not gonna allow that. We, we were sort of a give and take uh, department as it relates to our employees, as they asked for certain things and we had to give them certain tools. It was a trade off. We, we gave them everything we thought that, that we could to accept a certain level of risk. And then we pushed back on some things too and said, no, we're not going to allow that on our network right now. So it was, again, a good, good exercise for all of our folks to go through. And and the cyber folks played a big role.
1: There's so many things to ask you that uh, I would love to know what, what the employees were asking for. Hey, can I uh, do what, that, that you were like, okay, that's too big of a risk. And, and what did you allow? But I know that that me get into some sensitivities. Brian on that note, let's take a quick break. My guest today is Ryan Cody, the Transportation Department's Chief Information Officer. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is Ryan Cody, the Transportation Department's CIO. Did you also bring in the audit community, the IG, or you know, anyone else who could kind of come back around after the fact and say, well, you know, you did a nice job, but here's 17 things you forgot and you really put yourself at risk. And Was there any, did you find, were you able to include that balance at all?
0: We certainly included the general counsel's office in all of our activities. So I will say that we always seek, and, and in this case sought the advice of counsel and acted accordingly. We and then As it relates again to the IG specifically, we don't really have that sort of relationship where we ask them in advance for oversight or feedback on ideas or, you know, consensus or comments on what we plan to do. I, I think if I understand this correctly, hopefully I do that again, they're more of a an oversight arm and an investigative arm and audit sort of things as we go. So our relationship, at least I can say for me and office of the CIO is really more important in the office of the general counsel where we have a great team of fantastic attorneys who advise us on, on how we should move and act, um, not technically, right, of course, because they're not IT folks, but as it relates specifically to, to the users and the customers and employees on, on how we provide them services and what we ask for them in return in terms of behavior. As we look to protect people's health, first and foremost, and, and then protect privacy and protect um, different aspects of, of their work, Uh, We we really lean on the general counsel's office to help advise us, direct us. And I'm confident that because of following their lead on this and involving them in these processes and having them have oversight over what we're doing, when we come back, whenever that is, and and do sort of an after-action audit and say, you did what and you did what, the IG will be be okay with it. And, And we can say, look... Yeah, we allowed users to go home with their laptops and do this. And and we consulted general counsel. General counsel thought it was reasonable and we allowed it. And we don't think there's a a great risk or that we we had a a better solution. Right. I'm confident the IG will be pleased with, with the steps we've taken. And confident we did everything we could, you know, to balance between usability and security as it relates to this situation and in uh, the telework environment. So.
1: And I think one of the big things here is this is not normal times. This is not, you had an urgency, you had, you had a surge capability. And, and if you, to be fair, you, you made a risk decision that I don't think anyone would say was an unneeded risk or a risk decision that was un was improper in any way, at least, at least you know, from the surface, what we're talking about here. And, and actually that, that leads me to the next question is, so here we are now, how's things been working? Have you had to make other tweaks? Did you say, hey, we needed 15,000 licenses, now we need, we really should have bought 20, or hey, we bought 15, but now we really needed 13,000. How have things worked out over the last you know, month or so?
0: Happy to report that we, we think we got it right the first time. We, we oversized it a bit going in, so we're doing great from day 1 which if i remember it was march i think 16th when the federal government officially went to 100% telework we have you know successfully sent everyone home they're all working remotely and and have had zero service interruptions and zero issues with stability reliability of the network and i'm knocking on wood as i sit in my oh. office and say that because i don't want to jinx it but We've had just fantastic success with keeping everyone connected. The interesting part of this really for, for us as IT folks is we've been looking at the data, right? And we love to track the data of these things and looking at how the network is performing and how applications are performing in this new reality. And it's fantastic to watch. Pre-COVID, we never had more than three or 4,000 folks a day connecting to our network remotely and, and then we're nearing 10,000 a day now regularly and have had zero issues. We're looking at the usage of, of different teleconferencing you know solutions like Microsoft Teams, for instance, and whereas pre-COVID, we might have had a couple hundred people a day using it. Now we have thousands and thousands of people using this and having video conferencing meetings and virtual meetings and it, it's just cool to see how our user community has quickly adapted to the situation and are using the tools that we presented to them to, to work with. And again, we've we've had you know teleconference calls I've I've heard stories of between two and three thousand people on on teleconference calls as the department is communicating with its constituents in this community, either in in highways, you know, or in, in Marat or railways and as the secretary speaks to our constituents across the country, we've had to support some some really big meetings and some big virtual calls and things. And they've all, again, been very successful to date. Again, knocking on wood. So we think we got it right the first time. We, we oversized it. We have been making adjustments, of course, as we go. One of the, the things that was, was quickly evident to us is that when we we're working pre-COVID, we had a network that was designed and built for an inside-out sort of usage in architecture, right? Everyone comes to work, they're inside the building, they work from the inside out. And the, and the services we provide to them come from outside cloud and, and data centers and they come in. Well, as we reversed that and everyone went home, we now were faced with a network built to be inside-out, but a workforce that was outside-in. And so we were routing all of the traffic still from our home users via VPN or VDI internally and then back out externally to our applications and our solution providers. So we looked at that and said, you know, there, there are better ways here. We can bypass some of our network traffic and do split tunneling, for instance, to the Microsoft cloud because we're an O365 shop. We can take all this traffic and not have to route it through our internal infrastructure, but route it straight to the Microsoft cloud, because that's secure and it's encrypted from end to end, and we're happy with that. So we continue to make tweaks like that on our network, certainly, and they're more application specific as we as we look at a certain solution that someone's using, we really ask ourselves, is this the the best way to give this to our customers, right? Sort of in network terms, it's called OSPF, open shortest path first, right? So we're constantly looking at our network and our users and our applications and saying, let's give our users the shortest path to that solution and they'll have a better user experience it'll be faster. As long as we can make sure it's secure and encrypted, we're constantly making little adjustments like that to the network to continue to improve the efficiency and the reliability of the network.
1: Brian, right, on that note, let's take a quick break. My guest today is Ryan Cody, the Transportation Department's Chief Information Officer. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is Ryan Cody, the Transportation Department's CIO. The other piece that you mentioned briefly, but let me just tag back around to it, is the relationship you had with the acquisition folks, the finance folks, the senior leadership. Sometimes when a CIO has a great idea and they say, hey, I can do this, we can move quickly, We can. this is urgent, it, it, sometimes it's harder to convince those non-CIO, CXO types. Uh, this was maybe an easier one because of, it's a pandemic. We all see what's happening not just around the country but around the world, but at the same time, you still needed to make them understand why we needed the money now and, and why we needed to push this through acquisition now and how we get to get people trained and all the like. You said that they were great to work with, but what's maybe the, is there a lesson you learned about working with that CXO community that, or, or an approach you learned that maybe others could, could, could kind of take from that, you know, can continue along after the pandemic is, is subsided.
0: I don't know that you can use this all the time, right? Because, because you become the boy who cried wolf. and <laughs> We're not going to have global pandemics regularly, we hope. And so we don't always have this sense of urgency that I can leverage to, have quick action. But I think we can we can take lessons we've learned from this and, and we don't have to be operating in a crisis to have the same approach, right? And what it comes down to, again, for me is personal responsibility, personal accountability, becoming personally invested in something. Instead of just checking your box on your form and sending it on to the next person who has to check their box on their form and trusting that process just keeps flowing along in normal channels. I guess I would, I would challenge people and, and ask people to look at how often do they just pick up the phone and get personally invested in something, right? Whether it's, you know, life or death or urgent or not, could, could they do their job better? Or could they move along faster if they became slightly more personally invested in, in the outcome and the solution? So, you know, one thing, comes to mind for me in this process we we were acquiring a a particular um, tool or product for for this and I went to the folks in acquisition I said I have an order the budget has approved this we have the money we need to order this I said how long do you think this is going to take and the people just came back with well that's 30 days that's our normal process It's 30 days and I said well how can we move it faster and they said well you know, we'll do our piece and we'll send it along and I'll let you know when it gets back. So I could tell that there just wasn't the personal ownership and, and the buy-in urgency that this was not going to move at the speed I wanted it. If, if everyone on this end of it just accepts the fact that it's a 30-day process. So I said, okay, great. I said, let me know when you place that order. So the order got placed. I, I went back to that acquisition person. I said, who did you send that order to? And he said, what do you mean? I said, well, who'd you send it to? Give me a name and a phone number. And this is unusual for them, right? That, that this happens, but probably because I'm a CIO and I'm asking, they gave me the name and the phone number of the person they had sent the order to. And, and this was a contracting officer who then I guess takes the order and does the final approval and signature and sends it off to the vendor that's going to fill it. So this Contracting officer got a call from me within the next couple of minutes. And I said, hey, you know, Joe, making up a name here, Joe, you just got an order from Bill over in acquisition. This order number is so-and-so. Do you have that in your inbox? And he said, yes, I'm looking at it right now. I said, great. What's the next step? What do you do? How long does it take? And he explained it to me. And, and his piece was to hand it off to the next person in the chain. And I said, oh, great. So when you hand that off and it's, your part's done, let me know. So he did. He called me back and let me know. He passed it on to the vendor. I said, great. I want the name and the phone number of the vendor you just sent that to. And he hesitated and paused. He said, well, that's not usual that I would give you that. I said, oh, I understand, but give me that you know, name of this vendor and, and the person you just sent that order to. So he shared that with me. I then called that vendor and I said, hey, you just got an order for X from Joe at DOT. I'm the CIO. I need this really really bad. I I, quickly, what, what, how long does this take you? And he said, well, um, let's see, I have an order. I have it. It's it's a contract. It's paid. You know, I'll have to reach out to the vendor that I'm getting it from because it's just a middleman. Right. And it normally takes a couple weeks. I said, well, I don't have that kind of time. Uh, Let me know when, can you reach out today to that vendor place the order? Let me know when you've done that. And the same you know, scenario. I, I, I got that name and number. I, called, I finally called the person who was going to deliver me the product. And by that afternoon, I had that product because it was just digital. It was electronic. It was license keys. I had that product in my inbox. The person at the end of this four-person food chain emailed me personally the keys that I needed. And I sent that to my network engineer and his boss. And I said, here you go. These can be applied to our Uh, firewall tonight, because we have approvals, let's get this done. So, you know, I think that is what sometimes people just need to do. If, If they'll pick up the phone, make a call, get invested instead of just passing it along, following the normal channels, can speed it up, right? No question. Now, again, those channels are important for various reasons. As you go along the way, you need checks and balances, you need oversight, you need to make sure you're following proper process and procedure. But just being Proper doesn't mean you can't move at speed if you just personally begin to own something from end to end.
1: Ryan, this has been a fascinating conversation. Before I let you go, I'm going to shift gears just a real little bit. Okay, you're through this huge network uh, consolidation. You, you ramped up for telework. You, you, you're dealing with the surge fairly well. There's other things on your priority list. Give me a, a sense of what you're trying to get done for the rest of the year.
0: This really hasn't changed much in terms of that. If you remember you know, I think we talked maybe nine, 10 months ago when we first met. Uh, and my overall strategy uh, for the Department of Transportation remains the same, which is execute on Destinations Digital, our shared services initiative. While we had great success on this network consolidation and, you know, that bore itself out during this pandemic, we still have a long way to go on that. We, we had really only finished phase one of shared services when this hit, which was the network. We have more phases to go, which is to continue to, continue to uh, you know, consolidate the personnel, continue to consolidate applications, continue to consolidate um, all of the IT functions in, in DOT. And some of those still remain spread out amongst modes and have not yet been brought into the fold, if you will, of, of CIO. So we're not truly executing on shared services on everything technology based yet so that remains our our number one priority and our vision and goal is to get to 100 percent shared services where not only can i provide great network services to the modes but i can also provide everything else as i should which is application support application development a lot of what the technical folks are great at we should provide that as a service back to all the modes so that remains our number one mission. And then beyond that, you know, we are always, always focused on cyber. It, it's a never ending battle uh, to, to keep everything safe and secure lockdown. Uh, this pandemic, in fact, has has greatly increased uh, the threat, right? We, we are under attack now more than ever from from adversaries around the world. Our networks are constantly under attack. We're seeing more attack. We're of course seeing a lot more phishing attacks and and different threat vectors coming in related to COVID. So whether it's a email promising you a, a check or money or, you know, uh, a cure or a vaccine. You know, there's just so much now that people can be tempted to click on or, or open as far as attachments go that we've we've seen this increased threat, increased risk, and we're having to fight more than ever. So laser focused on cyber still. I want to increase our effectiveness at our SOC, increase the overall effectiveness as we fight off all these different angles of attack. And the number one job, I I think, at the CIO, again, is to deliver technology-based solutions reliably, at speed, at scale, safely. So we know we can do network. We just proved it. We know we can do applications. We're on to that next. And we know we can do cyber, but we have to get better and we have to constantly improve that because we're constantly seeing the threat evolve. So somewhere at the end of this journey, hopefully, is a department that is truly transformed and completely different. It's one unified IT solution we provide to all the modes of the department, and it hopefully will be nothing less than uh, the most modern, the most secure, the safest, fastest, best IT in all of government. That's our goal.
1: Ryan, there's so much more to talk about, but I've I've, uh, taken a lot of your time, so I do really do appreciate your time. So let me thank my guest. Ryan Cody is the Transportation Department's Chief Information Officer. Ryan, thank you so much for sharing your story about the preparation for the pandemic and and all the successes you've had. And thanks for uh, taking the time today.
0: Absolutely. You're welcome, Jason. It's a pleasure to talk to you again.
1: I'm Jason Miller, and you've been listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network.
0: You've been listening to Ask the Chief Information Officer on Federal News Network. Tune in Thursday mornings at 10 or subscribe to this show on iTunes or Podcast One.